Audrey, welcome back. Podcast number three. Um, the question is, by the time Christmas rolls around, will there be more podcasts or more Prime Ministers? Well, I think that's a good a good question, Jake. And yeah, thank you for welcoming me. Nice to speak to you. I reckon that there's likely to be more podcasts, fortunately. Um, since, since we've started, hasn't it, hasn't it been incredible? Two, two Prime Ministers. And I think uh, unless there's a general election, which I don't see... I don't see happening then we're likely to have uh Rishi Sunak until until 2024 I mean what have you what have you made of his first couple of days in in the job and and how do you view the the conservative leadership in the end I mean the one time you and I were both in complete agreement uh on Boris Johnson's uh inevitable return it turns out we were both wrong yeah, I mean, well, rule number one is never never speculate on politics because no one knows the hell they're talking about. But what I would say um, is that um, I'm slightly disappointed that Boris didn't at least go for it. I, I thought that, 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 that there's an element of what you know, what it could have been, just the, the of madness of, of Monday afternoon, Boris against Rishi. Um, yeah, I, look, I mean, straight away... Um, the market has settled a bit. The country seems slightly more accepting of Rishi Sunak than it ever did with Liz Truss. Absolutely. Um, I've, the cabinet's okay, but for Jeremy Hunt as Chancellor. Um, and I think realistically already, um, Prime Minister's question seemed a bit kinder yesterday. Um, oh, it is likely... Today, today. Prime Minister's question's oh, today. Oh, yeah, yeah, today, today. Sorry, forgive me. Yeah. Um, Easily to get confused in the midst of all the turmoil. I mean, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think, I think the uh, the key word, I mean, the word you can hear banded around regarding Rishi Sunak is stability. I think he has brought that. But but like you, like you, I, um, I do share a slight sense of what what could have been if Boris if Boris stood. Although I remember thinking on, on Friday when we did our last podcast, if he wants it, he'll get it. And that that, that remains the question because in his in his sort of uh, public statement he, he was adamant that he could he could have got it and he could have won a general election in 2024. But of course there is the, the doubt whether he actually had the 102 mm-hmm. nominee which he which he um said he did. But, my, my, my suspicion is that he got to about 95. You reckon um, it was that tight? If, yeah, I, I think it was really tight. Um, if he had the members, he would have gone for it. There, there's no way, the way he literally was sprinting back to the UK, mm. uh, he saw his moment again. He, he, you know, in a very Churchillian way, as he likes to consider himself, you know, Winston Churchill, you know, sprinting back to take control of the crisis again after being rejected once by the public. Yeah, I, I, I think that's his that's his dream. Um, but one, I think to him, once it became clear that it wasn't going to be um, plain sailing, and yeah. the majority of Parliament was against him already, that he had no choice but to, but to say no. But um, again, but again, if he took it to, to the members, he would have won. Uh, yeah, absolutely. But you know, it didn't happen, and we have Rishi Sunak as our, our Prime Minister. And you know, there's a couple of things that have have struck me uh, surrounding him becoming prime minister. And of course, like you said, the market is, markets have settled and all that, all that kind of thing. Uh, but what struck me um, the other day was listening to Liam Fox, because we're now in a situation where we've had three female prime ministers and we've had the first brown 
Asian Heritage Prime Minister in Rishi Sunak. Um, and looking at parties from afar or a glance, if you were told that, you would perhaps be forgiven for thinking that those were Labour Prime Ministers. However, um, they're not. And 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 the, the question was put to, to Liam Fox, why is this the case? And he said, at the end of the day, we are the party of meritocracy and we promote people on value and, and merit. And I just think, do you feel this could be the end of positive discrimination? No. Um, first, I'll, I'll quickly um, say that uh, Mr. Fox is right um, in terms of three ladies um, and someone of subcontinent, uh, subcontinental heritage. Um, it's, all, it's also worth remembering that in the mid 19th century, a name mentioned last time, Benjamin Israeli, obviously a friend and listener of the podcast, um, was also, um, you know, of, let's say, um, you know, a minority ethnic community being being ethnically Jewish. So I th- and he was also a conservative. So it just goes to show that the idea and that um, the conservatives are in some sort of, you know, a vaguely, well, party masquerading as right wing, mm-hmm. um, somehow being discriminatory is kind of rubbish. And, and Labour know that too. Positive discrimination will, however, continue. Um, Boris Johnson did it in his last cabinet. Um, I have no doubt. How so? I don't think he did. It's not what I mean by that is there's positive discrimination. It's not Tory party policy to do that. When it comes to positive discrimination, you know, Boris Johnson's boasting about it being the most diverse cabinet ever. And Yeah, but Jake, not not for the sake of it. It wasn't that for the sake of it. He elected his cabinet based on who he thought would do the best job and do the best for the country. He he did not have in the back of his head, let's do this to make it the most diverse cabinet. Yeah, no, no, that's, that's what he continually boasted about. He, he would always talk about replacing women with men, but realistically, fine, fine, do that. I'm, that's not something I'm going to stand here and it's not, it's not a hill I'm going to die on. But yeah. in terms of um, positive discrimination, um, the Labour Party may continue to do that. Um, all it likes it still is uh, what's a pale male and stale. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, that, that's also not going to change. I, I'm not even sure there's anyone um, in the Labour Party who would, let's say, replace Keir Starmer. That's not going to happen right now. But yeah. there's no one going near the leadership election who isn't, let's say, white. So do you think? Do you think with this, with Rishi now at the helm, is 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 a Tory victory at twenty twenty four conceivable, no. or still? Do you think the damage is is too great and too yeah, far? Yeah, it's, it's done. I mean, um, I was thinking yesterday now what it what it all could mean. Um, truth is, it doesn't mean actually mean that much. Um, yeah. So I think, strangely, although I'm a fan of her, Suella Braverman remaining as Home Secretary was particularly bad decision um, because realistically there wasn't much um, let's say the opponents of the Conservative Party could really scream about whereas Suella Braverman after being um, forced to resign last week for a breach of the ministerial code um, being, being reinstated after a week seems a bit questionable it's questionable. Um, it's also it also perhaps might reveal some internal Tory party dynamics. Did Rishi Sunak create a, a deal with Swerver Braverman that if she publicly backs him, she'll regain that position? You don't know because she does bring a lot of the right of the party with her. So sure. there, there could have been there could have been that to play. But um, yeah, so, it's so interesting because I heard. Sorry, forgive me for interrupting. I was just speaking to someone 
work yesterday and um, he was talking about the reason why Richard United didn't win it originally was because of the right-wing racist old men who formed the Conservative Party base. Um, but that's obviously rubbish as well, considering, you know, for example, the two the two big... Fa- if People obviously have the memories of Goldfish nowadays, but um, if, you, if people cast their mind back all the way to July... The two big favourites of the Conservative Party base were Suella Braverman and Kemi Badenoch. Um, yeah. So, so the idea that there's any sort of discrimination that's that prohibited or stops Rishi Sunak from getting there is it's not true. That's an interesting point as well. Because I was I was listening to an LBC caller on the James O'Brien show. Oh, sorry, it wasn't the James O'Brien show. But it was on LBC, but he he basically came out and said that Rishi Sunak wasn't English, he didn't love this country, and he was framed as uh, being a racist because the primary reason for that, did, to be fair, it did appear as if um, the primary reason he thought that was because he had brown skin. But, um, but yeah, it's... Um, well, well, it's interesting to say that. So, um, I think the Tory membership, there, there, are, there perhaps are cases of the Tory membership still having that, and that's perhaps why the 1922 committee was so keen for it to avoid going to the membership. But just, just, on, just, on, just on this topic, I've, I've got to ask you, I saw quite, there's been quite a few interesting tweets about Rishi Sunak uh, becoming Prime Minister, not least uh, Jess Phillips highlighting that perhaps class is still the biggest barrier uh, to, to success in British society. But one that really struck me was uh, Nadia Whittome, uh, Labour MP, Corbynite. Mm-hmm. Um, she suggested that Sunak wasn't a win for Asian representation. I just wondered what you, what you think to that. And do you think that shows that there's a politicization of skin color? Well, well I mean, I think that that one I've let the, the you know, our, our audience scream back. Of course there is. I mean, that's what, that's one of the biggest issues right now that um, the color of one's skin is being overly politicized. I mean, look, we've had, you know, last month with Kwasi Kwarteng, you know he is. Um, he's not black. Um, he's not. He's not black. He's basically white. Um, Rishi Sunak, has a, you know, isn't brown. He's basically white because he disagrees with us. Jake, uh, the worst one. The worst one I remember is Priti Patel, often often labelled a coconut, which is just shocking. Worst, which is just a worst. It's shocking. It's the worst type of racism. <laughs> It, it, it's, it's terrible and, it, and it, uh, you're right it, Nadia Whittam gives off the pre- impression that Rishi Sunak just isn't the right kind of Asian you can be South Asian if you agree with Nadia Whittam so the, the, the coconut thing as well is just so objectionable firstly you know what would be what's wrong with someone going to another country and wanting to, to integrate um, it has nothing to do with being white. I'm like on white on the inside. Is, is what it means. Is you know, although they have brown skin, they're basically white. So that somehow then that, is therefore implicit in what that means to say. Well, by going to another country, like by going from leaving India and going to Britain, trying to become English, there's actually something wrong with that. Um, again, you know what? You take take that to a general election and see where that gets you. That's going to be the the Labour Party's biggest. Problem in terms of the Tory party base with that's it, racist voters. Realistically, there aren't really any there. Um, if there are, it's no more or less significant than anti Semitism in the Labour Party. Um, but actually, it's probably there are fewer people in the Conservative Party who are openly bigoted or um, prejudiced against um, other skin colours than, than the Labour Party with anti Semitism. So, 
I think it's quite insignificant, really. I think what we're going to see as well is over, over the next year and a half, two years, with the Tories' economic credibility absolutely gone, I think they're aware that the only way they win or succeed in a, a general election is to take these culture wars up a notch. I think we're already seeing it within in the in right wing media, perhaps trying to really catch Labour out on this. Again on LBC, this one was with Nick Ferrari. I was listening to a Keir Starmer phone call. And bear in mind this is in the aftermath of the Tories electing uh Rishi Sunak and having three former female prime ministers. He was asked about all women shortlists and which he remained, you know, in support of them. Fair, you know what, fair enough. Fair enough. But this is a problem and we're going to always have to touch on it at some point. He was asked outright, would Eddie Izzard be on a all-women shortlist? And he, he couldn't say no. He, he couldn't bring himself to say no. And he, he peddled the argument that you so often hear. And I just think this is going to be a real stumbling block for Labour. If they can't just say that or anyone in the front bench can't just say no or dismiss such ludicrous ideas... Whether you like it or not, it will cut through with people and, that, and they won't go to him. Well, I'll just quickly cut back to what you said about all women shortlists. We, we almost established that positive discrimination is a terrible idea. Um, yeah. the, positive discrimination is just discrimination against who seems the majority. So it's discrimination either way, whether you put negative or positive in front of it, it's still the same thing. Um, yeah. And also, um, in case I'll quickly add on the women shortlists, um, they make no sense because they actually become very, very patronising to women because they say without, you know, women have to be alone and have to be chosen from from an all-women shortlist because if member in there, so somehow the women won't qualify. So it's incredibly patronising. Yeah, um, so, so that's the first thing. Um, in terms of Eddie Azar, yeah, you know, and, and what Kiss I had to say of him, um, it's very much the case that... Uh, Fine. Again, as I said before, just take that to the electorates and the Conservative Party would be fools. I know your previous um, um, personal advisor to Boris Johnson, um, Dominic Cummings, would make mincemeat out of that and he would be licking his lips at the prospect of getting yeah. it out there. If the, if, if the Conservatives are wise, um, they would at least... Uh, at best, they can, they can perhaps form a coalition, I'm not sure with whom, but... Um, what they can do is, as you say, go um, actually go hard on the social issues because suddenly oh, cool. um, Suella Braverman is a real fan favourite. She's very conservative. She uh, is actually pro-empire. She looks at the empire as a good thing and a positive force in the world. If Rishi Sunak has the same thing and say, look, we're the, the children of this greater worldview of Britain and the heritage of the empire, and look, we stand here as both... Um, proud immigrants to this country, proud Britons, and also we're very proud to have um, Indian heritage. And look, look what this country can be. I, I think that's the best chance they have. If, if yeah, the moment they stop um, retreating from that, they they will guarantee their, their loss and collapse. Um, I still don't think it's particularly hopeful for them, though. Yeah, um, what, 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 what would you make out with, with Eddie Azar? Do you think he has a right? Um, no, it, no, it, no. It's got to end. This, this whole chat is has got to end and, and the thing is Keir Starmer didn't have a particularly hard job he, he, his his um, his excuse for not answering it directly was just saying I'm not going to talk about individual cases but I think a simple no would have put the issue to bed um, and you know it's not about attacking trans people whatever but it's about 
you know, women's rights at the end of the day. And I think he needs, and because Rosie Duffield, again, she's the MP that's frequently brought up because she's had the audacity to say biological women are a fact of, they're a fact, they're, they're the true women, basically. Um, and, and Keir Starmer's not taken that view. Now, I don't know where that leaves Labour. I don't know if he, people are even that animated about this topic. I don't know if it's something I feel particularly strongly about just because I'm concerned about the the impact it could have in women's sports and so on. But well, until... That it's already havoc. Yeah, um, well, it's already havoc. Well, exactly. Exactly. I, I, I truly think that feminism will be complete, will be complete, that feminism will finally have obtained, obtained utopia when a man is beating the shit out of a woman in a boxing ring um, saying that he's a woman. So, I mean, I, uh, you know, um, I hope that doesn't happen, but if it does, then I mean, you know, that side of the argument is brought on themselves and it gets itself in a twist by trying to be, look, don't get me wrong. It's not like they're trying to be horrible. Yeah. Um, it's the whole idea of calling Eddie is out a woman is just people trying to be nice to him. But in reality, we, 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 we can be nice. Can be nice. Well, sorry, let me finish this. If we can be nice in a private conversation, we should always try and recognise people as individuals. Yeah, but once you're forming government policy and you're saying, for example, or your your views or your opinions have um, a large sway over um, what the public thinks and how the country to be governed, if you're coming out with such things, then um, no, it's not going to work. Absolutely. And you, you actually make a good point there about private discussions and stuff like that. It's always important to be courteous and polite. And you know what? Yeah, if I was sat next to Eddie Izzard, I'd call him or her whatever he or her wanted. But it's you're right. It's when uh, views like that start in impacting the public arena and particularly uh, all women shortlists, for, for instance, I just find it beyond reason that he could could stand in one of them. And the, I find it ridiculous that Keir Starmer just couldn't give a simple no to the question. But if, if, um, he, if, he gave, if he gave a no there, then automatically, suddenly he's against the so-called wokery. And so sudden, suddenly he's kicked back heavily. But he knows he's automatically going to alienate the most vociferous parts of his base by doing that. Of course. Well, it, it, yeah, it, it makes me think that, you know, the, the fact that this we've come across this to- topic already is this... This is. I think we're going to see a lot of this, like I say, because I think the media, which I've previously said, there's no denying, are entrenched within the Conservative Party and they, they want Conservatives in power. Uh, we're going to see a lot of this stuff really ramped up because it's the only possible way that the Conservatives can frame themselves as, as reasonable compared to Labour. Unfortunately, it's, it's such a simple fix, but I don't see it happening. Well, the reason, uh, why, the reason why the Conservative Party... Um, might um, be favourable to the media is that the Conservative Party is a perfect perfect blend of um, global economics with very social liberal policies. So it doesn't really matter. It's just the following on the natural um, progression from from the Blair movement, which, which is what the Conservative Party is. That's why if at the moment any person who has Conservative views gets anywhere near um, office in the, um, in the Conservative Party, then, then naturally the media starts getting wild about it. Um, but yeah, I look. Where, where do, do you think realistically that do you think yourself that um, the Labour Party will ha- actually continue to hold that lead going on? I mean, the markets calm down suddenly. Suddenly, the, the um, headlights are back on to Labour. 
I think the, the, the polls are definitely going to shrink as we approach the general election. That happens naturally. And I think look, that there's a lot of there's a lot of good that Keir Starmer's done with the party. I do, I do have a lot of praise for him in what he's done in uh, just making it more presentable, more credible. Uh, they look like the shadow cabinet does look like it's made up of grown-ups who could make um, you know, big decisions. Rachel Reeves, I think she's quite impressive. I look at the I look at the bench, the the shadow the shadow um, cabinet, and I don't feel uh, as fearful as what I did when when it was Corbyn's shadow cabinet. So I think the polls will naturally close, but it's it's likely that the Labour the Labour Party will succeed in that. Starmer will become the next prime minister, but that could potentially look. There's potential avenues. There's potential that the Lib Dems and him might have to strike a pact to not contest seats that are quite tight between the Tories. That could happen. Um, I just think, look, looking in the future as well, Labour need to set out a vision of what they believe, and also if they're to have a period of success in power, I, I genuinely think that if Starmer becomes prime minister we could see a massive shake up in the way that we vote and the proportional representation could become a very real thing. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how that pans out. Um, well, the party has no choice but to go for um, proportional representation. Look, I mean, I can't really see the Labour Party winning. You're talking about the, the cabinet. Um, the more that people like David Lammy as potential foreign secretary... Um, he's it, not bad, though. He's, he's competent. He's an intelligent guy. No, he's not. Um, in terms of, he's no less intelligent than James Cleverly. But I, I, I'm not here to represent James Cleverly. No, no, I know you're not. But you're saying about the more people see uh, yeah, David. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> the more he opens his mouth in public, the more unpopular he'll be. No, um, James, this, I don't. I don't agree with that. I don't agree. It's, with it's that. exactly it's exactly the same issue that during the Trump years in America. The more the public got to see of the Republicans, the better the Democratic Party seemed, seemed and vice versa. The more, uh, and, and once Trump went and the lights began to shine on the Democrats once again, people started knowing, uh, recognising how crazy they were as well. Um, and the same with Joe Biden. All, all Keir Starmer had to do for a long, long time, his best opportunity to become Prime Minister is in the next few months. If he can force a general election somehow, and if Rishi Sunak does something catastrophic, then he has a good chance. But if in two years' time, if things do settle down, which they won't, but at least the Conservative Party can kind of give the impression that they have, then it's going to be much more difficult for him. I um, think just just on Rishi Sunak and, and what he's done so far as Prime Minister, I think one of the key things we've got to mention, and it actually does relate to your, your friends at Just Stop Oil, He's reinstated the national moratorium on fracking, which is one of the more controversial uh, environmental policies of the Liz Truss reign. So on that, Jake, with with the moratorium uh, being reinstated, what were your uh, initial thoughts when you saw buildings uh, with famous car dealerships being sprinted with paint? Um, well, did you see who was doing the, the spray painting? Um, you know, look, realistically, the, what, what can you say? These people are nuts. And when, 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 when you have, like, I, I don't quite get their arguments. They are in a country which, they're in a country which um, pledges to um, go extremely green, become one of the greenest countries in the world. 
They have, they're represented by media who fundamentally supports them. The police who, are, who should be there to arrest them, support them, give them water and give them a bag massage whenever they, whenever they ask for it. And they, if they do get into trouble, which is the only reason they do get into trouble um, is because the public hates them so much. If they do get in trouble, then they're given a quick uh, flick around the year and mm. then they're, they're, they're pushed back out to cause more 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 carnage. I mean, I'm not sure if anyone yeah. saw the recent attack um, in Potsdam near Berlin, um, in which people threw Kartoffelbrei, um, as it's known in German, or mashed potato on um, a um, Monet painting. Um and they obviously took inspiration from the recent attack on Van Gogh's um, sunflower painting because they referenced it in their um, in their screeching after doing it. You know, um, what, what what can you do with these people, Joe? What can I you don't do? know. I don't know. Like, I mean, as, as you will have heard, and and from our first podcast where we we spoke about it, there was a part of me that had mild sympathy for for the activists and what they were trying to do, and I certainly wasn't as animated as you were because of the previous sort of forms of activism I'd seen, which had resulted in ambulances not getting to people. So it didn't rile me up quite as much. But I have to say, when I saw this, the the Just Stop Oil protesters spraying just paint on buildings, it, it was just a little bit ridiculous that they were allowed to do this, just getting away with damage of property. And, uh, oh, but it was okay because it was in the name of the environment. And and the most ridiculous one I saw was in Madame Tussauds, a piece of cake being smothered all over Pin- Prince Charles's face. It It's starting to lose. It's getting lost on me, to be honest. I, I don't know what you do with them. And, and like you say, there doesn't seem to be much, much of an answer because... We keep getting asked. I remember with the Just Stop Oil, with the um, the Van Gogh painting, and now with these car dealerships, we're getting asked, oh, what do you care more about, these cars or the environment or this painting or people? Because it's not as sure. simple as that. It's not like you, it you pick it's one it's that you really care about. It's it, it's becoming silly now where I'm just seeing people roam the well, streets. Well, look, if, if, we're, if we're quite honest, these people view humanity as a cancer. Um, and they talk about, for example, overpopulation, the fact we have to get rid of most, or, you know, actually, you know, we have to cut the population down, which means, you know, some sort of force exodus of people. Um, now, once you give these nuts and these complete fruit loops any voice, they automatically become really barbaric and tyrannical, as we're seeing. Um, they're more than happy to watch people die or be involved in death. They're more than happy to have everyone's lives inconvenienced by them. Um, and that's true. And by the way, can I just say, Jake, you're literally not... I, some people might hear that and think you might be being overdramatic, but you're no, actually... Not. They, 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 they are happy and content to do actions or carry out actions which could result in someone's mother, someone's auntie not getting medical attention that could potentially save their life. They, they're they, happy they, to do they that. Have. They have the classic um, Lenin um, ideology of, well, in order to get the omelet, you do have to break some eggs. They are more than happy to watch, in my opinion, um, the, these eco-fanatics are more than happy to watch genuinely hundreds of thousands of people die in order to get what they see in the green utopia. It's quite, it's quite worrying how much influence these people have. Um, and again, it's just the damn hypocrisy of them. Um, I know in... 
um, in in Potsdam when they they threw mashed potato on the on the um, on on the painting. They, for example, said they said that Leute um, hungen, meaning you know um, people are starving to death. Yet they, I, I know it's a cheap point. I understand. I get that. But throwing food onto something mm-hmm. that's really priceless and important and valuable to a society. Um, is the best way to demonstrate that these people don't care what they do. They'll do anything they can. Um, if 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 they had the opportunity to round up people who they thought were their enemies, they would and throw them into concentration camps. They're that evil. And by 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 just you know by allowing these crazy people and these megalomaniacs to get anywhere near um, a societal opinion is going to be extremely dangerous for most people. Um, yeah. Well, I think yeah, no, I, well, I mean, you said some quite, quite controversial points there, which I, I don't. There's, like, there's not one thing there. Particularly the concentration camp thing, but you're, you know. No, 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 I'm saying if these people were allowed any um, power over others, they would happily do that. It, it's these people. These people are driven purely by ideology, meaning that there's no way they can possibly conceive that they're wrong, and the only people. The only thing you can do with people who they think can't see the light is somehow to actually get rid of them, to ban them from society. Yeah, and, and it's not good. It's not it's good. Not, it's not controversial. Ideologically driven, driven policies are not are not usually uh, a force for good. I think as we saw only a couple of weeks ago, with the mini budget, which is which has consequently seen our nation uh, have a new prime minister in Rishi Sunak. So I think, I think on that, Jake, we should call it a day. And uh, thank you to all who have listened. Yes, thank you very much. And yeah, uh, definitely until, until next time, when hopefully, uh, fingers crossed, there will be a third prime minister for a fourth podcast. So get on. See you later, Jake. Bye-bye.